all you wrestling fans out there. This is JD coming at you. And, oh, yes, the marvelous one is here with me. And you're, we're broadcasting to you live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And you're listening to Ring the Bell Radio. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is the marvelous Matt here coming at you. And uh, before we get into today, to today's show, excuse me, uh, just want to uh, let you know that today's show is brought to you by Computer Connections. Uh, for all your computer needs, go to www.paconnect.com. Today, uh, many of you know him, well, since I've been known uh, watching wrestling, I know him as, as the genius. But today on the show, we have Lanny Poffo. Mr. Poffo, welcome to the program. I am the genius full of glory and renown, still living in the past all these many years later. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us, for uh, giving us your time. Uh, Mr. Poffo is a genius. And, uh, you know, everybody listening right now pretty much wants to know, what, what have you been up to lately? Well, actually, on uh, April 10th, I was in Pittsburgh. Um, Larry Zabisco oh. and I and David San Martino, uh, and it was, uh, let me see who else was there, um, some type of thing. Anyway, we went to Franklin, Pennsylvania. Brutus the Barber Beefcake, uh, the man who cut my hair in WrestleMania 6, and now I have a full head of hair, and he suffers from male pattern baldness. So, <laughs> oh my! Then, you know what? Then, then, then I'll tell you about karma. Yeah, yeah, really. It's a uh, sense of irony that I'll tell you there. You know, I remember uh, watching that WrestleMania, and. Um, where he actually, I thought, you tried to get away with his hedge clippers, I believe, after he beat Mr. Perfect. I think he caught you halfway down the aisle, took you in, gave you the sleeper hold, and then he uh, did his strutting and cutting, as he liked to say. Well, I tried to forget about it, so I have selective amnesia. I only remember the good moments. <laughs> oh, okay. There, see that? Jeremy, he's trying to forget about it, and there you go, bringing it up. Oh, I'm sorry. But, uh... But yeah, back, back to my original question. Uh, are you still uh, still active in uh, wrestling? Then I guess, huh? Yes. If you go to my website, geniuslannypapo.com, and if you can't spell genius, you have no business being on my website. You'll see in the news <laughs> section. You see all my bookings. I just came back from Thunder Bay, Ontario, and uh, you know I'm doing a lot of I'm doing a lot of uh, things. And uh, actually, uh, let me see. I'm going to be. Um, I'm going to be actually going to Erie, Pennsylvania, um, and uh, that's your Commonwealth. Um, see, I'm one of the few people that understands the difference between a Commonwealth and a state, and Pennsylvania is one of the four uh, okay. Commonwealth. Because yeah, that, right. genius yeah. thing was not, that genius thing was not a gimmick, okay? Oh. So, uh, so anyway, uh, June 26th, I'm going to be in Chicago. Uh, July 22nd, I'll be in Somerset, Kentucky. And then July 24th and 25th, I'm going to be in Erie making a movie. Uh, August 29th, I'll be in El Dorado, Illinois. September 18th, Atlantic City, New Jersey. And November 13th and 14th, I'm going to Maynooth, Ireland, which is near Dublin. Wow. So, uh, so it sounds like you've been uh, been keeping busy, and uh, that's that's always good to hear. Um, well, my theory is. For people that go on my website, they have the contact information. If the price is right, I'll be there tonight. Oh, well, hey, that's a very good attitude to have. I, that's, I like that. I like that. That's right. And, you know, um, uh, I'm 50, so I'm, 50, I'm 55 years old, and I'm, I can't give you the same performance I used to, but I can give you the poem. I can throw a few punches. I can do the moonsault, and I can uh, 
you know, hopefully the people that, you know, they have a good time. But if you want to see some real action, I'm sure there's younger people on the cart that are a lot hungrier that are willing to throw their bodies off the balcony into a cup of water, but that's not me anymore. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, that, that, that would be fun to see. But uh, basically, uh, a lot of people listening, too, they, they want to know, how exactly did you get into the wrestling business? Well, you know, my father died on March 4th, and he would have been 85 years old on, um, on April the 10th, okay? And okay. Uh, at his, we, we took him back to Chicago, Downers Grove, Illinois, and um, this is the poem I did at his funeral because, um, you know, he, was, uh, he broke the world record and he was featured in Ripley's Believe It or Not for doing 6,033 consecutive sit-ups. And, wow. you know, when you're breaking a world sit-up record, there's no promoter to tell you to lose. This is, this is between yeah. you and the sit-ups. So, mm-hmm. anyway, it goes, um, "'Twas back in 1945 on Independence Day, the Nazis had surrendered. Japan was on its way. My dad was in the Navy, as history will tell, as he was bleeding, in the, as he was bleeding through the mess, a world record fell." He did 6,000 sit-ups with an extra 33 to glorify our Savior who died for you and me. And Robert Ripley's feature celebrated this event, giving credence to success is not an accident. That's always been his motto through times both good and bad. He's a real Hall of Famer and the world's greatest dad. He's the man that put us into the business, and, you know, um, he had two sons, two little jabronis, and he... He got us all uh, started, and uh, I'm very grateful that he did because wrestling been very, very good to me. Right, right, right. Now, now, early on in the business, you actually uh, got to team up with uh, your brother, uh, Randy. Is, isn't that correct? Oh, yeah. We teamed up a lot of times, and we also fought against each other quite a bit. So um, oh. I had a lot of in-ring experience with him. Now, after uh, the wrestling... Now, you went into managing, correct? Now, is that, was that your call, or is that what you would say upper management's call for you to become the genius? Uh, in the World Wrestling Federation or World Wrestling Entertainment, you very seldom get to make any calls. So okay. uh, I, just, I, I was just doing what I was told, and um, the only thing that counts is what the bank teller counts. Uh, now, is that playing that genius character, is that something you enjoy doing? Um, I like being the character of the genius. Yes, but I did very much. I also like being with Mr. Perfect. Um, he's an excellent person. Um, I'm very sorry that he is on that list of wrestlers that have died too young. And uh, according to the toxicology report, it was an overdose of cocaine. Uh. And um, so, you know, like I'm saying, um, anybody listening, please learn from it. Once you lose, don't lose the lesson. We've already lost Mr. Perfect, but if I can save one person, uh, and I promise you he wasn't doing that stuff when I knew him. I don't have any idea, you know, why or what happened, but, um, you know, your body can take so much, and he's a very good man, and he's he's gone too soon. Right, right, and that's unfortunately one of the things that, you know, over the past couple of years, you've, we've, we've all seen a lot. Anybody follows wrestling, even if you don't follow wrestling. You know, the, the, the young wrestlers um, just dying way too soon. And it, it's good to hear you 
um, being in the wrestling profession, uh, speaking out against drug use and everything. A, a lot of the times the profession gets a bad rap that if you're a wrestler, you're doing drugs no matter what. And uh, like I said, it, it's just good and it's positive to hear that there are uh, guys in the business out there that, you know, are taking a stand and, uh, you know, are, are anti-drug. So uh, well, I, I definitely... I wrote a book, a children's book about smoking. If you'll see it on my website, GeniusLannyPopple.com, it's called Limerick from the Heart and Lungs, and it won the Jarson Beck Award for Excellence in Children's Literature. And it's just 335 limericks all about smoking. Um, three smokers with nothing to do decided to go to the zoo. As they lit up to smoke, I heard one monkey joke, hey, look, human see, human do. When Columbus arrived on our shore, he discovered tobacco galore. The peace pipe was passed, although peace didn't last. The pipe killed more people than war. When Sheila earned her Ph.D. with her boyfriend of equal degree, dissertations got tough, so they smoked off the cuff. How stupid can smart people be? So that's three. That's three. There's 335, and it's a book all about, it's called Limericks from the Heart and Lungs. And it's uh, 335 anti-smoking limericks. And I try to use a little bit of humor and uh, there are, I promise you, even though most limericks are dirty, there are no dirty words in my book. Right. I was actually, uh, I was actually looking at your website a little bit ago, and I did see that. It, it definitely does look like a, uh, you know, a good book for children, anti-smoking. And uh, again, for for what it's worth, coming from me, um, I, I just, uh, I would like to thank you and commend you for, uh, you know, being a voice out there. And uh, you taking you taking pride in being a smoke-free dad, like you said in your video there. Yeah, I tell you what, um, for what it's worth, it was worth an awful lot. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, you know, coming from you, coming from anybody, uh, I was lucky enough to meet Shel Silverstein um, before he died, and uh, there's a guy that changed my life. And he said, Lanny, we have freedom of speech. Speak, you know, and right. um, he wrote A Light in the Attic Falling Up, uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends. He also wrote some country western tunes, uh, A Boy Named Sue for Johnny Cash, you know, things like that. If you Google him, you'll see quite a resume. He died in 98. Right, right. Now, um, transitioning back to, to the topic of wrestling uh, for, for a couple minutes here, um, as one of our favorite managers of all time, yes. um, you know, we, we grew up whenever the, the genius uh, character, and like you said, you, not only was it a character, but you actually are a genius, and uh, we, we, we can tell from that. But uh, I, I, I just have to know, why did they put you with the Beverly Brothers? Okay, I'll, you want the real reason? or the? Uh, um, he was with John Tolis. John Tolis was calling himself the coach. Uh, yes, yes, okay. okay. And uh, evidently, um, you know, in those days, there were about eight people that were going around going to the bathroom in people's suitcases. So, uh -oh. um, you know, in other words, relieving themselves in the suitcase <laughs> of each other. So uh, right. I don't want to name names, but uh, this was going on in the dressing room, and um, it got really popular. Of course, it started with the Nasty uh, Boys and the, and the British Bulldogs and the, um, you know, Janetti uh, and Michaels and uh, all these rockers. guys were in on it. The Rockers. 
So um, what they would, um, so what they did was, uh, they did it to John Tolis. Well, when he discovered that, he came out there and freaked out and said he would burn their, he would burn their house down with their children in it. And then that got back to the office, and um, he got fired. And they had to bring in somebody to be the Beverly Brothers manager, and they had just fired me six months before. Okay. So um, I got the call, and of course I was there in a flash, but uh, this will give you an idea of what kind of a genius I am. I had already heard that everybody was, uh, you know, using suitcases for latrines. So okay. um, I, I was in Syracuse, New York for TV my first time back after being six months out, and I hid my suitcase so well that I couldn't even find it. <laughs> right on. You know, and uh, in all the time I was there, nobody ever used my suitcase for a bathroom. And I, of course, if you ask why, of course they were afraid of Randy. You know, uh, that was oh, the right. only logical reason. Because they certainly weren't afraid of me. Um, and I would have been a very good target had I not been, uh, you know, the Macho Man's brother. So in some ways it's very good to be the Macho Man's brother because they're afraid to mess with you. Oh, right, right. And uh, briefly going back to, uh, you, you said you and uh, Macho Man uh, had some matches uh, together and against each other. Well, what was that like wrestling your own brother? And uh, do you think the, uh, the chemistry you had in the ring together could be attributed to the fact that you're uh, brothers and kind of grew up together? No, it could be uh, he was the leader of the match, and I just listened. And uh, oh, okay. he knew what I he knew what I could do, and he always um, made sure I could do everything that I could, and he did everything he could, and uh, and then he, we would have a critique afterwards, and uh, we, we just kept getting better and better. Some of these matches happened in our own territory. Before that, they happened in uh, the Maritimes in 1978, where he was the top heel and I was the top babyface, and uh, we right. would. Uh, so we've we've had a lot of matches. And it was, uh, he's a very detail-orientated fellow, and he was a perfectionist. And I have to say that he's one of the greatest, uh, some of the greatest matches I've ever had were with him. I, I bet that was, you know, like you said, I, that's always fun, getting in there, being able to uh, beat up on your brother a little bit. Uh, you know, most families do that a, a lot, but uh, you got to take it into the ring and do it. So what, what could be better? Well, if it was... Uh, if if we were really beating up on each other, I'm afraid I wouldn't be much of a match for him. Yeah, <laughs> because he's, he's a, you know he's in a. It wouldn't be a. It wouldn't be a fight. It would be a beating up. And fortunately, right, uh, right. I know better than to antagonize him, and he knows better than to be cruel to me. Um, but right. he's a. See, he's a legitimate athlete with a, a you know, a baseball player, and uh, you know what he would do is uh, study his opponents and see what they did best. And he would make sure that he would uh, bring out the best in his opponent after seeing what they could do. And um, when right. he wrestled a person that couldn't hit the ropes right, he wouldn't do those in the ropes high spots. He just wouldn't. He would uh, uh, he would only do the specialty of the fellow that he was working with. And uh, briefly jumping back to when uh, you were a manager, uh, for all our listeners out there and for myself, who out of all the wrestlers you got to manage? Uh, in your career, who was your actual favorite 
wrestler to manage? Um, Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was a tremendous fellow. Of course, um, you know, if I had selected amnesia, like I said, um, the greatest moment of my life came um, about 21 years ago when I wrestled Hulk Hogan on NBC. And I said, right. Um, right. there's only one man smart enough to put Hulk Hogan down. That genius has a devastating plan. You're, you're looking at the future world wrestling generation who appeals to the modern thinking fan. When I emerge victorious with gold around my waist, I shall be the most splendiferous of all. Don't tell me Hulk is six foot eight and I'm just six foot two. Between the ears, I'm over ten feet tall. He wants to wrap his 24-inch pythons around my neck and give his famous, what you gonna do? By the power of the genius in the world's smartest man, I'll rely on my incredible IQ. Now, for many of our fans, and I didn't know this until not too long ago, that you actually spent some time in WCW, correct? Um, yes, uh, that was, uh, um, I was going to be Gorgeous George. I bleached my hair blonde, and I bought all these, um, these uh, outfits from Michael and Tony, uh, the same, the same uh, fellow that does all the rock and roll stars in Tampa. Um, very expensive guy, but the best in the world. He also made all my right. brother's costumes. Right. And uh, so I had pink boots, pink trunks, uh, and blonde hair, and I waited by the phone, and it never rang. It never, never rang. rang. I was, ne my phone number, I was under contract. I was receiving money in the mail, OPM, other people's money, and uh, it never rang. And I tried to get myself in condition, which never happened because I was in my 40s. Now I'm in my 50s, and it really isn't going to happen. You know, okay. um, you know, it's just uh, getting in shape is easier said than done, especially when you get to advanced years. Oh, and, oh I believe it. So anyway, and I have to say, too, um, that my blonde hair, I was trying to make it look like Ric Flair. Um, okay. Instead, I looked like the scarecrow on The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so, so it frailed out on you and it really backfired, uh, huh? Well, my hair is dark. It still is, you know, except for the gray. And uh, when, yeah. you get it, when you start bleaching it, it turns red before it turns white. And uh, so it has to go through a lot of uh, damage. And, of course, you just can't get away with that. To say that the Gorgeous George gimmick would have been uh, legit, you know what I mean? It would have looked horrible. Uh, so I never really uh, – it's a tough gimmick to live up to anyway. So, um, so um, you were saying you're going to be Gorgeous George, but – as far as the companies go, what did you were able to see any of the inner workings of WCW and see how could you were you able to see how different WWF and WCW actually were behind the curtain? Uh, I'll tell you this much: um, see, Vince McMahon would have never allowed a parasite like the Gorgeous George to receive money for nothing. Um, right, right. Uh, because Vince is absolutely too smart. And he's not like Ted Turner in his ivory tower. He's in the trenches every single day, 24 hours, 7. Um, and he doesn't let anything get by his eyes. Um, and if there's a loss, he cuts his loss. Uh, you know, like I, you know, the WXL, World Football, whatever, and the bodybuilding thing that he got involved with. But as soon as he could see it wasn't panning out, he just cut his losses and kept moving. You know, I mean, he tries a lot of things. Some of them don't work. 
He's also pushed a lot right. of wrestlers that never got over. You know, but uh, they all they all wound up falling by the wayside. You know, just because they push you doesn't mean you're going to get over. Right, right, exactly. And that's uh, and that's one thing that's interesting that you brought up about Vince being there in the trenches, um, even now, day in and day out. You hear stories about him always being at the shows, always having his hands on things, and that's. That's, you know, say what people will about Vince McMahon, but I, I would think as a boss, to be that hands-on with your product could actually be beneficial rather than always, you know, being away from it like uh, Ted Turner was and, you know, kind of delegating that power to somebody else. Well, that's what happened when uh, when when Ted Turner's organization merged with Time, Times Warner and AOL or whatever, um, uh-huh. Then he had to answer to the stockholders, and uh, everybody says, hey, what's all this red ink? I said, well, that's when Gorgeous George is being paid to stay home. That's what the red ink is for. You know, and I wasn't right. the only one that was feasting and taking advantage of a horrible situation. It's what happens when the uh, maniacs are running the asylum. Right, right, uh, right. And that's, uh, that's well documented, too, about uh, pretty much the fall of WCW. It, it seems like there are so many, so many uh, things in play that all contributed to the fall of WCW, not just maybe one thing. But it, it's interesting to see non-wrestling people thinking they knew the wrestling business and trying to run the company. And you see what happened to WCW, like you were saying. Well, well one of the things that I thought was the uh, turnaround thing was um, at the Bret Hart screw job in Montreal, um, Vince had a talent for taking a bad situation and turning it into a positive. So when he right. was spat on and, and punched by Bret Hart, he noticed that uh, the crowd was booing Vince. So he decided, wait a minute, I got an idea. I'll be the heel promoter. And you got to give him credit. That's, as soon as he started doing that, that was the first time that the ratings uh, reversed itself because they got beat by the WCW so many weeks in a row, and this was the renaissance of the WWE or WWF. I don't remember what it was then. Right. Uh, and the thing is, too, um, about loyalty, Vince making himself the star and the main heel, um, you know, you realize that he can't leave himself and go to the Ted Turner, so he's one man that he could trust. Instead of trusting somebody that doesn't love you, you know, somebody that's out for themselves. Um, so, in, in other words, and then he created the character of Stone Cold Steve Alton, who was defiant of the authority of Vince McMahon, and then Rock, and then The Rock came in, and, and the next thing you know, uh, they put the WCW out of business. And uh, just briefly, we're, we're going to have to, uh, we're up against a break pretty soon here. So, uh, again, we want to thank you for your time. Um, just real quick, we like to ask all of our guests this on the show. Um, if you still watch wrestling today, and if so, do you prefer WWE or TNA, or doesn't it really matter to you? Okay, I don't watch television, okay? Um, oh, okay. I, and, if I, and I don't even, I love baseball, but I don't even watch baseball. Um, what oh, I watch, wow. what I watch is uh, ESPN has baseball, uh, uh, Sports Center and Baseball Tonight, where I get uh, none of the scratching and the spitting, just the, um, just the, just the plays, when, just the highlights. I can't sit through a right. game. I only want to watch the highlights. 
I lived 15 minutes from uh, uh, Tropicana Field. I could watch the Rays play. Um, I don't go um, because I'm I'm busy living my life. I don't want to get addicted to television. Um, you know, right. and I've got things I I got things I want to do in my life and uh, on a daily basis. You know, you're talking about Vince McMahon. He didn't get richer one day. He got rich daily, a daily habitual risk where he did, was he chose the high road every time. That's he's my hero. I want to do that with my life. Um, in other words, I have little goals and big goals and long-term goals, but I concentrate on the these are the things I must do. And then I do the things I want to do, and then I have my bucket list, things to do before I kick the bucket. I got that from the right. movie. Uh, yeah, you know, the, yeah. The movie. yeah, that was great. That was uh, uh, Jack Nicholson and... Um, Morgan Freeman. That's a movie I recommend. Yeah, I've seen it. It's a good one. All right. Well, uh, once again, uh, the genius Lanny Posso is on the line with us, and... Uh, we just want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, this great interview. And uh, we want to ask you if you can hang on the line for us for a second. Uh, we, we got something we want to ask you off the air, if that's all right with you. Sounds like a bumper coming up. Yep, that would be great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been around a while. It's all right. Right, right. So uh, once again, uh, for Ring the Bell Radio, this is Matt and JD. And uh, have a good evening, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.